Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter always live on the free Odyssey app the revolution will be broadcast is the next generation of talk now this is the drive at 530 minutes of non-stop talk with Rich Zioli Biden calls the Israel trip successful, but uh, how's the economy in America doing? That is the question as we begin our 5 o'clock hour, 30 minutes of nonstop talk. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Very happy to have in studio with me a guy you hear on the show very, very often. He's the official economist of the show as well, by the way. He's Dr. E.J. Antoni, economist and research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget. EJ, welcome. Rich, thank you for having me. It's great to have you in person. It's great to see you in your powder blue suit with the red for <laughs> our films. I had to do it. I had to do it. <laughs> and we are going we to win this series on the road. Uh, you're a local guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's good. So, I mean, it's good to, uh, you, you, you're bringing us good luck here being here today. So, I knew you were coming. They won two games in a row, so now I guess we're going to be good just because of you. So we're there you we're go. going for the sweep, baby. Going for the sweep. I think we're going to. <laughs> uh, now, what brings you to Philadelphia? I know you're going to see you, you got family around, but you you you're all over. You're Capitol Hill. You're New York Heritage Foundation. You said you're testifying before the Senate on Thursday. Is that right? Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what's that conversation going to be about? So, uh, essentially, we we have a bunch of politicians right now who are trying to pin the pain that consumers are feeling on things like junk fees. Uh-huh. They're trying to say, oh, you know, when, when you have to cancel a flight and you get hit with a cancellation fee or you have a ticket at a concert and, you know, you want to move your seat and you get hit with a fee for doing that, you know, that's what's really causing consumers pain right now. Meanwhile, the, the right. monthly mortgage payment on a median priced home is up. Uh, it has more than doubled, literally more than doubled since Biden took office. Maybe that has something to do with the pinch that consumers are feeling today. Yeah, maybe just a little bit, right? Like just a, just a tad. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of, uh, of nuisance fees, I mean, I, I understand Biden, you know, it doesn't like the fact that resort f- hotels will charge a resort fee. What about all the fees the IRS charges if you try to pay your taxes using a credit card, for example, or <laughs> uh, all the fees that, that you get charged by governments when you want to, uh, I don't know, uh, do a permit on your home or, mm-hmm, I mean, more, mm-hmm. most nuisance fees seem to be government origi- originated, uh, originated from my opinion. Oh, ab- absolutely. It's a hundred percent right. 
And you know, it, it's the dirty little secret, really, that that all these things are just there for more revenue, right? And and it's a shame because we we see this so clearly when we talk about so-called <clears throat> sin taxes, like tobacco, alcohol, yeah. right? We tax these things. Why? Because we want to discourage people using them. Why on earth do we not apply that same logic to income taxes, to sales taxes, to property taxes? The more you tax something, the less you will get of it. The more you tax something, the less you will get of it. In other words, there's a point where people say, I'm out. Exactly. And especially when you're talking about something like income, where you have marginal tax rates that increase the more money you make. And so you will get to a point with many people, once you combine state, local, and federal income taxes, that people are looking at a situation where they say, do I really want to earn another dollar when I'm going to lose 50 cents of it? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the federal deficit, the, the budget, all of that for a moment. We're talking now about giving Israel anything it needs, giving Ukraine anything it needs. Janet Yellen the other day came out and said, we've got money for all of it. Where, oh, where's, where, where's all this money coming from, out this, of curiosity? This was just so appalling. I mean, I, I find it, well, let me put it this way. I don't know if I can name a single person who is wrong as frequently as <laughs> Janet Yellen is. That's a bold and, statement. And and yet, and yet, who not only keeps her job, but constantly gets promoted. It's mind-boggling. It really is mind-boggling. And I, I don't know, Matt, do we still have that clip, uh, DeSantis, of yesterday from Janet Yellen? I see we can share that uh, when she said that, because I just I just want to know where we can where we can get it from. I mean, that's I, we're not having votes on this. We talked about this, you and I, we've talked about this many times. Up or down votes on funding for Israel, up or down votes on funding for Ukraine, not tying it to CRs, not tying it to omnibus bills, making people own these votes. That's what needs to happen here. Here's uh, Janet Yellen. In terms of uh, what this all means, Paul Tudor Jones, the famed investor, was on CNBC this week and he said, this is the most threatening and challenging geopolitical environment that I've ever seen. At the same time, the U.S. is in its weakest fiscal position since World War II with debt to GDP at 122 percent. Can, can America, can the West afford another war at this time? I, I think the answer is absolutely. Um, America can certainly afford to stand with Israel and to support Israel's military needs. And we also can and must support Ukraine in its struggle against Russia. And look, the American economy is doing extremely well. The American economy is doing extremely well, E.J. Antoni. I'm pretty sure I just lost brain cells listening to that, <laughs> as, probably did all of the, as probably did all the listeners. My goodness. I mean, where, where are we going to get this money from? We don't have enough money to pay our own bills, let yeah. alone other people's bills. We are, we are in a massive amount of debt. We're running up $2 trillion in deficits a year. The debt is exploding. The, the cost of servicing that debt is also exploding. By the end of the next fiscal year, we will probably be at a record high in terms of how much of our GDP is going just to pay interest on the debt. And you want to talk about funding wars overseas, not not just one and probably not just two, but maybe even three now if China moves against Taiwan next year. I mean, it's just absolute lunacy. What do we do uh, about energy prices, too? Because, I, I mean, one of the things uh, a lot of people are talking about is as this Middle East situation escalates, there's probably going to be an increase at the gas pump. It, th those things usually seem to follow each other, do they not? A absolutely. And, you know, 
Thank goodness we have a full strategic petroleum reserve for occasions <laughs> just like this, right? Oh, right. Oh, yes. no. Oh, no, that's right. We have a president who just drained almost half of it. He took us from about 650 million barrels down to about 350 million. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. we have a lot of uh, private stocks that are now going down as well because we're just not producing enough. Uh, Cushing, Oklahoma stocks are at critical levels now which means that we're getting to a point where the flows coming in may not be enough to to match the flows out. And so you always need a, a certain surplus in there just because of the delays between input and output. And we're at a point where we may not have enough in there to match that. So, you know, we're at a, again, we're at a point where our oil is hitting critical levels, our oil stockpiles. In case of a true emergency, we only have about two weeks of oil in reserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is just an absolute disaster. And meanwhile, what is this president's solution? Not to encourage drilling and mining and fracking here at home. No, it's to go on bended knee to Venezuela and the Saudis and ask our enemies for more oil instead of getting it here at home. That's it, right. It's just lunacy. To to uh, to think about it in, in the sense of where we have been over the last several years and why Giving up American energy independence has been such a catastrophic mistake. I read Biden gave up, I think it's 50% of all the oil leasing rights he, he, he mm-hmm, sold off. Mm-hmm. Uh, situations like this where suddenly now power brokers in the Middle East who control oil gain more power. Israel now is, is, is in a situation where God only knows where this goes. But if they want to mess with us, if these countries around the world want to mess with us, as they, as they seem to do, Iran certainly does. They have the most precious commodity available, which is oil. They can do so. Not a single shot has to be fired. They can they can cause major harm to the United States economy just by that alone. Exactly. And, and again, this is entirely a self-inflicted wound. There is no reason why we need to be dependent on all of these bad actors, except for our own failed policies here at home. And it's a combination of, you know, the inflation obviously has, has increased costs for consumers, but it's also increased costs for businesses. So I was speaking with Harold Hamm a few, a uh, few weeks ago, who's a, a billionaire oil magnate. Uh, he made a lot Look of money. Look at you just the- dropping name, name <laughs> dropper. Listen to this guy. You know, my friend I'm is just, a billionaire I'm just uh, magnate. You know, lend, you know. lend a little credibility. So people know I'm not coming at this, you know, coming out of left field here. So, but he, he made the point that he used to be able to pump profitably at $60 a barrel in most of his fields. And now it takes about $80 a barrel because his costs have gone up so much. And on top of that, if you want to start a new well, Mm -hmm. guess what? Biden raised all the fees for leases. And so now basically the producers are getting hit every single way you can imagine. So they they can only pump more if prices go up. And you have a lot of, this is particularly true for the small producers who have thinner margins than the big companies. And so you have all these producers right now sitting on the sidelines. The number of wells, active wells in this country has been going down for a year and a half. Why? Because so many of the small producers can't make money until oil gets to about $100 a barrel. So the American consumer is going to have to go through a lot of pain before we can bring any more additional domestic supply online. You hang out with billionaires and you brought up producers. I hang out with those two producers. That's the people I, I hang out with. Just so you know the difference, EJ and Tony. Uh, inflation is, is killing everybody. I mean, it's, it, there was a guy the other day mm-hmm. put out a video on, the, on social media just talking about food prices and the prices of everything and how much they've gone up in a year. Uh, it, it's really 
I, I think at an inflection point, I was on a call today with a bunch of energy people and they were asking my opinion on politics and the election where things stand. And I just kept saying to people, look, nobody really cares about the House Speaker fight outside of Washington, D.C. I mean, outside of the swamp, no one really gives a damn. But they really do care about the price they're paying for food and for their family and everything else. And you brought up housing prices. You're in Philadelphia right now. We're in studio together. This city is being besieged by crime, as are a lot of cities. And people can't afford to leave those cities because of housing prices, like you mentioned. The median home price now has jumped so high in our area. I mean, these are the things that, are, that uh, everyday Americans are, are dealing with on a day-by-day basis. And somebody said it best. I think it was you. If we do not get control of government spending, we will never, ever, ever get out of this inflationary mess. Because even if the Fed keeps raising interest rates, let's face it, the negative returns here on that have already hit home. I mean, people can't afford mortgages at this point. Mm -hmm. The housing market is, is, is slamming to a crawl because people can't leave the homes that they're in to upgrade to new homes like people used to do, right? You get your starter home and then you move up to a new home and then you move up to a night. People can't do that. so. The key driver here of all of this seems to be government spending. And then we have Janet Yellen saying, we got as much money as we need for everything. Don't worry about it. Oh, my gosh. The the inmates are running the asylum. I mean, that's, that's I think that's the only way to put it at this point. If you look at what government spending was doing before the pandemic and you look at what inflation was doing over that same time period, you can establish a very, very strong correlation and you can see that inflation post-pandemic and government spending post-pandemic are both very, very elevated. And you see the exact same very, very strong relationship there. And you're, it's absolutely the case that until you get government spending down, you are never going to get inflation back to that 2% target, let alone zero, which is what the target should be. We shouldn't have inflation at all. Mm-hmm. But I mean, all of the talking heads on TV who have been telling you, oh, yeah, inflation's trending towards 2%. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we're going to be there sooner or later. It's all a bunch of garbage. It's absolute garbage. And if you just look at the monthly data, you see how much are prices rising from month to month, and then you annualize it, which just means, all right, imagine that rate of change happens for 12 months, not Mm -hmm. one. You can see that the monthly rates have not been trending towards 2%. They've been trending to over 3%. And then you have you have morons like Paul Krugman out there who who put these just idiotic posts on Twitter where they say, oh, you know, if you take out uh, housing and food and energy and used cars, then inflation's actually down to two percent. Oh, well, that's great. Basically, if you're homeless, you know, you're starving, freezing to death and, you know don't have anything to drive, yeah. well, I guess things aren't so bad. Listen, cars, food, and housing are way overrated. I'm just going to say that for the record. They're way <laughs> who, overrated. Who needs to eat? Right? I don't, for one. I'm trying to lose a few pounds. And I mean, <laughs> cars, you know, listen. Uh, but it, but then there's also another thing. I, mean, I know you took the train here. I'm, 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 I'm going to go on a limb here and say that those prices have probably gone up as well. Oh, about doubled. Yeah. Train yeah. prices, plane, plane tickets. Yeah. It's Disney just, just raised prices at their parks. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, that's just Disney being greedy, but still, nevertheless. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's Nobody's right. getting spared here from this, <laughs> is, is my point. I mean, even people who take mass transit are feeling it, too, I think. Oh, absolutely. And and I think in terms of who is feeling it the most, this is where I, I get I get so mad every time I hear uh, Biden give that. What, what's that garbage line? He says, building the economy uh, from from the bottom uh, bottom up and middle out, right? Yeah. Okay, well, at this point, the, you know, the middle's collapsed and the bottom's fallen out. I mean, who does inflation hurt the most? Those who have the least to begin with. 
right? It's it's the Matthew principle. So if if you're somebody who didn't have a lot to begin with, you are disproportionately buying cheaper goods and services, right? You're not buying filet mignon at the grocery store. You're buying ground beef. But what happens to those who have a little bit more money, those in the middle class when inflation gets really bad? They start changing their buying habits. They're not buying as much of the more expensive cuts of beef. They're starting to buy ground beef more often. So you have this huge shift in demand mm-hmm. away from more of the, you could say, high-end goods to the cheaper goods. And so now the things that the poor were buying have not only gone up because of inflation, they've gone up even further because of that shift in demand. And so the people who could least afford higher prices are facing the highest prices throughout the economy. And yet there's some people that would celebrate that by saying, well, you shouldn't be eating filet mignon. You should be eating ground beef anyway, because they don't think about the increased demand and what that does. They don't think about it from that perspective. But they also, let's face it, they don't like the fact that there are people out there who can afford filet mignon when other people can only uh, afford ground beef. But what they also don't take into account is that people that buy things on the higher end of the price spectrum support people who make goods at the higher end of the price spectrum. This is the classic, whenever they start blaming people with yachts and people with planes, and the mechanic who services a yacht mm-hmm. is not a guy buying filet mignon. You know, the, the, when, when that yacht comes into to port and those guys go out there and they clean it and they do all the things that they do, they're the ones who are middle-class people. But without that yacht coming into port, they don't have a job necessarily. Now, I don't have a, I know your fancy friends have yachts. So I know you probably go out on the yachts, you probably <laughs> hang out with them, your fancy billionaire friends, but you know, the rest of us can dream. But I mean, you know, there are people who, who do, there's an entire class of people who make money off of the fact that people have more money than other people mm-hmm. and then spend that money and buy things like new doors, windows, they paint their homes, they put on, you know, additions to homes. There's an, they, they cut their, they hire people to cut their lawn. Like there's an entire market of people who live off of that. Right. Right. So now as people start making lifestyle changes and the guy turns around and goes, all right, you know, I'm going to cut my own lawn to save money, or I'm going to paint my own house to save money. Well, now somebody's getting hurt by that choice. Exactly. Exactly. Rich. And, And this is where you get into that, that downward spiral that begins a recession where all of a sudden those, that, that arbitrage of. I can use my labor to earn more money than it will cost to pay someone to do something else that I would spend the same amount of time doing. That goes away. And so all of a sudden, as you said, you start effectively laying off people within mm-hmm. the service industry. And then eventually that, that goes into the goods industry as well. And, and you know, th- again, this is, this is just where y- you talk to people, especially on the left, and they just don't understand because they are so fixated on this idea that if there's somebody out there with more than I have, he got it through ill-gotten means. There's no way he could have possibly done it honestly, and so we need to take from him, and somehow that makes society better off. It, it's in the same way that the White House was celebrating uh, a data point from, from the, le- the recent uh, Census Bureau report on poverty which showed that poverty went up, except that they said, oh, the Gini coefficient went down, which that's basically just something that, that looks at income distributions. And as more people are earning the same amount of money, basically, the Gini coefficient goes down. Okay, so we're all becoming poorer? That's something to celebrate? Guess, guess what? As all of our incomes go to zero, so does that Gini coefficient. We're really going to celebrate that? How much money really, you look at the last couple of years of inflation, how much people, how much money have people actually lost 
salary-wise, if they have not gotten raises over the last several years, how much money have they really lost? Oh my gosh. If you haven't gotten a, a salary raise, you, you've just been crushed. You've lost more than 17%. If, you're in, if in nominal terms, you're earning the same amount today as you were when Biden took office, you've lost 17.1% of your pay in, in terms of what it actually buys. But even, even for the, the, the typical American family who has seen pretty substantial wage gains under Biden, it's been historic. That part of the story is true. But because prices have risen so much faster, you've lost thousands of dollars in terms of purchasing power. But now on top of that, we have the interest rates going up, and that's on everything from credit cards to student loans to auto loans mm-hmm. to mortgages like we talked about earlier. So for the typical American family, you, you put both of those effects together and it's like you've taken a $7,300 cut to your annual income. I mean, that's just devastating. That For that typical American family, that's more than they take home in a month. Dr. E.J. Antoni's with me, and it's great to have him in studio with me. You hear him on the show quite a bit. He is the economist and research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget, uh, and a local guy, too, a Philly guy. So it's great to hang out with them in, in person. All right, so let, then let's talk about the job market because every, every time these reports come out, these statistics come out, the Biden administration claims that the job market is great. Oh, is the job market oh yes, great? Right, right. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the claim. And as soon as you look just, just beneath the surface, you realize, no, this is a lot of smoke and mirrors. Uh, one very, very good example is what kinds of jobs were added. We added a ton of government jobs. Well, that's not that great because you need private sector jobs to support the government jobs because someone's got to pay the taxes. They're going to pay the government salaries. Mm-hmm. But what other kinds of jobs were added? Entirely part-time. We actually lost full-time jobs in the last report. Over the last three months, we've lost hundreds of thousands of full-time jobs, which is the fastest pace since the shutdowns and during the pandemic in 2020. Meanwhile, we're up over a million part-time jobs. And at the same time, you're adding hundreds of thousands of people who already had jobs. In other words, I have a job right now and I'm going out and getting a second job, or maybe I already had two jobs and going out and getting a third. Every time that happens, I get double counted in these statistics. And so just because I have to go out and get a part-time job because I can't make ends meet, which is the case for 60% of American families right now, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They're racking up tons of credit card debt. That just hit a, a record high of over a trillion dollars. So a lot of people are basically getting stretched and having to get extra jobs. That's not a sign of a healthy labor market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk to me about the Federal Reserve. I hear a lot of people uh, complain about the fact that the Fed has way too much power, way too much autonomy, (laughs) really no oversight. I know the Heritage Foundation is working on a project which would really reign in the executive branch of government, (coughs) excuse me, and provide some accountability here. What needs to happen to the Fed? You hear guys like Senator Rand Paul talk about auditing the Fed. You hear his father talk about shutting down the Fed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What, What has to happen with the Federal Reserve, in your opinion? I think auditing the Fed is kind of a waste for for two reasons. Number one, they're actually astonishingly transparent, the amount of their data that's available online. Uh, I don't think an audit would reveal all that much besides what's already available. The other thing is, even if you audit it, you know, they're the only private institution that gets to set their own accounting rules. And so it is so obscenely confusing that unless you have have literally spent years studying this, there's no way to make heads or tails of it. And so, great, we're going to have an audit. We're going to present that data to the American people, and no one's going to be able to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. I just don't see that as as productive. 
Uh, what I think would be far more productive is if we rein the Fed in in terms of putting much, many more constraints on it and putting rules in place, such as forget the full employment, which is basically your excuse to to cause inflation whenever the politicians want spending money. Your only job, your only job is stable prices, period, full stop, end of story. That's it. If there's inflation, you're fired. So they could have the ability then to control that. Oh, absolutely. They're, well, they're the only ones who can control that. You know, there, there are, there, look, there are tons of things that the Biden administration has done that have caused prices to rise, but it hasn't been inflation in the technical sense where we're talking about the dollar being worth less, right? Biden throttling energy production literally from day one when he canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. Mm-hmm. Day now, one, first day in office, literally cancels the Keystone XL pipeline. It, exactly. So all of those things, yes, that has hampered energy production that has raised prices, sure, but it hasn't actually affected the value of the dollar per se. In, in that regard, that is purely the Federal Reserve devaluing the dollar by creating excess dollars for Congress and the White House to spend. Let me ask you another question about um, Janet Yellen, if I could, while I have you in studio here. Let's do this. Uh, see if I can grab this. Matt, you have that other Janet Yellen cut to play for me? Uh, yeah, give me one From second yesterday's to pull show. I'd like to find and get your, again, another Janet Yellen clip here. And, and by the way, can I say what a you pleasure sure it is? To be in studio, not only with you, Rich, but with the great Matt DeSanctimonious. <laughs> Matt DeSanctitraitorous. <laughs> Thank you, EJ. Doing a heck of a job here. Uh, all right, well, hang on a second. Let's see. Okay, go ahead. Now, go, now go ahead. Play Janet Yellen. All right. I know you're not backing uh, a woman to be president in the next election, because I know you'll be backing President Biden uh, loud, and, loud and clear. Does he still have the energy for another five years Ab- in the job? Absolutely. He's... Um, very involved, very um, vibrant, um, is doing an excellent job. Um, And I think when we face the kinds of troubles that we have in the Middle East, you can see the benefit of um, deep experience and understanding of global issues. Okay. The real question I wanted to ask you is, do you think she sounds like the serial killer from Silence of the Land. It rubs the lotion on its skin. It does this whenever it's told. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Okay, one more time. Just the part with her, not the other, not yeah. the British guy. He's doing an excellent job. Um, I, oh, I think... Was she a great big fat person? Yeah, I see a big similarity there in how... Janet Yellen speaks in Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. But again, that may just be me. I don't I don't know. Well, I tell you what, between her, between that clip and the clips you played in the last segment of, of Biden, I mean, they could put you to sleep. You you might be liable for accidents on the drive home tonight as as your listeners fall asleep listening to these clowns. I know. I, 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 that's why I have to get so fired up just to keep people awake when I play this audio. You know what I mean? Now, Henry does a good uh, let's, let's 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 contrast Henry Mesh Maserati's. He's our associate producer. Henry Maserati's impression of Janet Yellen as Buffalo Bill. Go ahead, Henry. Oh, wait. Was he a great big fat president? <laughs> okay, now let's hear Janet Yellen again. It's a good... Gotta, we gotta, face uh, the kinds of troubles that we have in the Middle East. 
It rubs the lotion on its skin. It yeah. does this whenever See, it's told. It's good that I have this brilliant economist in the studio and I, I waste his precious time. Guys testifying again. in front of the Senate on Thursday or Tuesday. I got him doing doing this nonsense. <laughs> what a waste of his talent. What you a waste have a well-respected economist in studio for a full half hour and you're asking him to compare <laughs> clips between Janet Yellen and the killer from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> You know Alleged what? killer. We, he was never found guilty in a court of law. I'm just pointing that out, Buffalo Bill. And, and you know what? So. De- depending on how uh, the Senate testimony goes on Tuesday, the public may be getting more out of this segment than they will out of that. <laughs> when you sit there with these senators, I mean, what what what, what are they looking for from you? What They want to make, obviously, they're going to have staff members who are going to write questions for you to make themselves sound smart. What is the purpose of this? What are the What are the good guys hoping to get out of your precious time in front of their committee on Tuesday. Oh, well, I think what the good guys are hoping to get out of it is very different from what most of them are help, hoping to get out of it, which is basically just sound clips they can use for a donor email. Uh, what what are the good guys looking to get out of it? Um, the truth, I would hope, mm-hmm. which, which is the fact that the, the real driver behind the impoverishment of the average American over the last two and a half years has been the government spending, borrowing, and printing too much money and over-regulating so much that it has thrown all of those negative effects into overdrive. The other question I want to ask you, I still have you in studio, and uh, and it's this, and, and I think this is an important point, and I hear this a lot, that people on the left scream that when Donald Trump was president, he spent too much money, the government spent too much money. How mm-hmm. much of that mm-hmm. is COVID-related? How much of that was Trump? How much of... I mean, how do we separate that and make those distinctions? Because Biden comes out and brags about what, what he's done and blames Trump for everything and says he's cut deficits that Trump created and everything. How much of that is COVID? Oh, the, the vast majority of it. Now, now, to be clear, Trump spent way too much money right now. Some of that was because he went in with an idea that he was going to make all these cuts to the budget. And then Paul Ryan, the, the Speaker of the House at the time, made him all these promises. Look, if you just let us get this last omnibus through, I promise it'll be the last one. Then we're going to make all these cuts, blah, blah, blah. Of course, it never happened. Mm-hmm. It was all a lie. And, you know, Trump Trump got played as much as, you know, the art of the deal. And we love to talk about how he's a master negotiator. He really got played by the Washington establishment. Yeah. And and here's hoping that, you know, if if he ever does become president again, who knows if he does. But here's hoping if he does he'll have learned his lesson and, and he won't trust those clowns anymore. But then then going to COVID, uh, again, it was a combination of Trump spending too much money. There was way too much that he signed off on. But don't forget, he also tried to, to block some of the spending bills. He actually vetoed the last one, but Congress overrode his veto. So at, at that point, when you had a, a, a divided Congress, you didn't have nearly as much sway when the White House asked them to do something. And so it, like many things in the Trump presidency, it was a very mixed bag. But the, the irony with Biden saying that he cut the deficit is literally all he had to do was nothing. That's it. Just do nothing, Biden. That's all you have to do. And the deficit would have dropped by so much that we'd actually have a surplus today. We wouldn't be talking about a $2 trillion deficit. We'd be talking about a surplus of about $100 billion. And instead, what happened? He's just spending us into oblivion because the covid money goes away and then therefore then things would have been fine. Exactly. So many of these things were just one time expenditures. And because the economy grew so rapidly after the the lockdowns ended, 
We'd act, we'd literally have a surplus today. Well, that's the other lie he tells, right? That they created all these jobs. I mean, companies were forced to lay off people because of COVID lockdowns. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, you had the, the idiot governor of Pennsylvania at the time, Tom Wolf, deciding who, what, what jobs were essential, what businesses were essential. Uh, of course, his buddies and friends, they were all essential. They were deemed a certain essential. You know, my, my jackass king in New Jersey deciding that, you know, you couldn't go to a gym, but you could go, of course, to a liquor store or a convenience store. Mm-hmm. So, of course, companies laid off people. And then the Trump administration put in, they had this program, right, where if you hired people back, you didn't have to repay the money. So the economy exploded when lockdowns ended. And that was the way it was designed to work. That's what they were trying to do at the time. But Biden takes credit for all that. Right, right. And so going back to the job report real quick, because this ties in, one of the details there is it breaks down job gains between native-born American and foreign-born Americans. And what we can see is that the number of native-born Americans today with jobs is the same as it was before COVID. Mm -hmm. So all of the quote-unquote additional job growth that we've seen, curiously, has all gone to foreign-born Americans. By the way, I I think that he would agree that uh, if if he were here in this room right now, he would agree that he got played by those people. No no question about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's also part of the reason why they're terrified of him getting a second term is that he's he's not going to get fooled again. You know, the old saying, you fool me once, fool me twice, but he's not going to get fooled again. So I think that that's part of the reason why he um, is such a threat to them. I know you got to run, but last thing I got to ask you before I let you go, which is that this idea of reigning in the executive branch of government, something that the Heritage Foundation is working on, mm-hmm. holding these unaccountable bureaucrats accountable, ensuring that the president who's actually elected can can set policy and have the executive branch actually follow that policy. How much of that affects, would affect the economy if that's able to be achieved? Oh, tremendously. Uh, uh, an, another f- uh, very, very good friend of mine. Go ahead, name drop again. Go ahead, <laughs> let me guess, Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, Travis Kelsey, on. go ahead. Come on, really? Really? That's where we're going to go with this? That's actually, it. by law, I'm if done. we don't say their names once an hour in America, I believe we all have to go to prison. I no, no, no. He's, he's a, he's a uh, professor out of the University of Chicago, Casey Mulligan, uh, another great economist. And he actually has quantified that under Biden, the regulations coming out of the executive branch have cost the equivalent of $10,000 on the average American family per year. Really? Yes. So a big reason why so many Americans are, are saying the economy is horrible right now, despite the fact that it's not matched by a lot of other numbers like income, is because you have all these additional costs that aren't captured by so many of the inflation metrics, but they're still there. See, we don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about the fact that the executive branch of government has the ability now, and it does. It's the only branch really that makes laws nowadays. Mm-hmm. They call them regulations. They call them rules. Well, let's face it, they have the force of law. And if Congress doesn't like it, Congress has to pass a law to overturn a regulation or a rule by the executive branch of government. And these things carry fines, they carry jail time, and they carry costs. Like the one that's before the Supreme Court now with Chevron, which I hope the Supreme Court will either overturn or dr- drastically rewrite the Chevron deference doctrine, where the government turns around to these these poor herring boat fishing operators and go, hey, nice boat. Uh, not for nothing. We need you to get a guy on there to watch you fish. Oh, and you got to pay for it. Like that, like, like mobsters. Right. Like mobsters getting their idiot friends jobs. Mm-hmm. We're going to force you to have a herring fishing monitor on your boat and make you pay for it. What What the hell is that? But, but Rich, as long as those things are government mandated, they get basically wiped away by something called a hedonic adjustment 
in the inflation metrics. Cars are a great example of this. Every time the government mandates something like backup cameras for your cars or blind spot monitors, those things are great to have, right? But there are plenty of people who would rather have the cheaper car without those additional features because they just can't afford it. But every time those things get added on by government fiat, what happens? The cost is literally excluded from the price increases in cars. And so what are we left with? An inflation metric that grossly underestimates inflation anytime the government is imposing these regulatory costs. How is that not a major scandal that you got time Can you just stick around for five more minutes? Oh, sure. All right. Oh, just gee, thanks. I got, now, now you got me fired up on the executive branch. I got to talk about it. But listen, if you want to cut back on your weight, you can stop eating as one suggestion was to save money, or you can reach out to my friends at NJ Diet. 40 days to lose 20 to 40 plus pounds. Just say it with me. 40 days to lose 20 to 40 plus pounds. You will lose a contractually guaranteed 20 to 40 plus pounds in only 40 days with NJ Diet. They use your hair, saliva, and blood work, along with scans to personalize natural solutions and supplements that get your body into the fat-burning zone so you could finally lose that weight. Then NJ Diet uses DNA Info to help you keep the weight off. And best of all, it's contractually guaranteed. You are fully supervised the entire time to make sure you are burning fat and not just losing water. And you even get the doctor's personal email and the doctor's personal phone number. Absolutely no shots, no hormones, no surgery. None of that. Just real weight loss designed for your biochemistry. Locations are close by in King of Prussia, Newark, Delaware, and Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So call them today and get started. Just as everybody's bulking up with all the playoffs, holidays right around the corner, you will be losing weight and looking and feeling your best. Call 855-5NJ-DIET, 855-5NJ-DIET, or go to njdiet.com. 40 days to lose 20 to 40 plus pounds with njdiet.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. Sick man, Henry. I'm not here. Sick man. Sick man. I tried. Uh, welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. If you can't figure out that joke, you gotta. You, I'm not gonna tell you. You gotta. Boy, do it I have the yourself. movie for you. <laughs> Is that a good date night movie? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is Halloween time, right? Yeah. Uh, Dr. E.J. Antoni is in studio with me right now. He is the Economist and Research Fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget. And uh, we're talking about this idea of, of, of the executive branch of government and how out of control they are. The name of the project that they're working on now to rein this all in, what is it called again? Project 2025. Project 2025. The idea being that we're going we're gonna to deal with the executive branch of government. There are a couple key things that need to happen here. One of them, I think, is, is Chevron needs to be overturned. Mm -hmm. But we talk about how the executive branch now has the rule, the lawmaking function. It has taken that away from Congress. We can, 
We don't need to go back to the history of how we got here. We know how we got here. But what we don't really talk about enough is the cost imposed on the consumer by three-letter and four-letter agencies who make rules, promulgate rules, promulgate regulations, pass those along to the consumers. And then you told me something that I've never heard before, which is that when that happens and there's increased costs, those increased costs are not factored into the CPI. Did I understand that correctly? Rich, that's exactly right. Yep. And and the the reason that's done is because you need some way to adjust for products, for example, getting better over time. You don't want to compare the cost of a TV today to the cost of a TV 20 years ago because the TVs are completely different. You need right. some way to adjust for quality. And and so that's where you get these hedonic adjustments. That's where that's what it's supposed to do, adjust for quality. But the problem is when you get these government mandates in there. It, it destroys the, it effectively destroys the mechanism because any of those improvements are not counted at all. In other words, we don't factor in those costs. We don't include them whatsoever. I, I, it, amazing. And they issue thousands and thousands of regulations and rules a year. The executive branch of government does. Most people have no idea until something, they, they wind up crossing the hairs of government. And again, Congress, if they want to do something about it, they have to pass a law to repeal a rule. I mean, that's why we're so upside down in this country that the, the Constitution says Congress makes the laws. Now, Congress makes laws to undo executive rules, but Congress doesn't even pass laws to overturn them because most of the time it, it's more controversial to overturn them. Or, But at the same time, that never would have become a rule in the first place had Congress had a vote on it. Like, for example, the idea of forcing fishing monitors on herring fishing boats and making the fishing boat owners pay for them, that bill would have never seen the light of day in Congress. Mm -hmm. Never, right? Right. Who would have voted for that other than the extreme wacko left? But but if an agency just comes up with this rule and mandates it, well, now Congress has to then pass a rule, a law to undo it. And that becomes problematic because then they're going to talk about the jobs that are lost, right? They're going to talk about how the how the, the, the herring fishing population is being threatened. And then that's why these things don't get overturned. Right, right. And, and a big part of it, too, is all of these three and four letter agencies that you're talking about always give the most attractive sounding names possible to these things like the, the Clean Air and Water Act. Who could mm -hmm. be against clean air and right. clean water right. Un until you realize that, oh, no, this is just imposing uh, new efficiency standards on appliances and it's going to raise the cost of a refrigerator by three to four hundred dollars. I mean, people already can't afford appliances. They're already having to put these things on credit, which they can't pay back because they're so behind on their bills. And now you're going to throw a few extra hundred dollars on onto their backs as well. By the way, enough for nothing. These things don't work. I mean, washing machines nowadays with their efficiency standards mm -hmm. don't get clothes clean. And I know this because I'm a guy. I mean, I've got a friend of mine. Everything he eats winds up on his shirt. I'm not that bad, but I typically <laughs> wind up cooking in my clothes and forget to put an apron on. So I got the olive oil splashing around. So I know for a fact that that these washing machines are not like they were. They used to be, I mean, and, and they, I, commercials don't even try anymore. If you notice this, if you watch a detergent commercial, they don't even pretend like they get stains out anymore because there's only so much they can do. It, these machines just don't work. They're just not efficient. Same with dishwashers, too. How many times do you, do you do the dishes, and unless you basically wash the entire dish before you put it in the dishwasher, it doesn't come out clean? 
So you actually wind up probably using more water because you got to wash everything before it goes in the dishwasher. Right. So this this was interestingly one of the things that the Trump administration did was they wanted to overturn specifically the dishwasher regulation mm-hmm. that said it can only use this much water because it just wasn't enough to actually get dishes clean. Right. And and so they they said. All right, if we do that, the left will tie us up in lawsuits for so many years that this is probably never going to see the light of day. It certainly won't happen before we leave office. So they wrote a a new regulation that allowed manufacturers to have a speed cycle, which would use much more water. When I say much more, it still used less than the last generation of, right. of dishwashers, but it was much more than the minuscule amount that that today's washers use in, in like their standard wash. And and so that was like essentially their loophole to use a regulation to undo a regulation, if you will. Amazing that we have to do that, though. Mm-hmm. Amazing that we have to actually pass regulations to undo regulations. That we are just so we're, we're so off the rails here. You're a Seinfeld guy, I'm guessing, because you're a smart guy with a great sense of humor. The <laughs> uh, the showerhead episode, which is one of my favorites, you know, when I got my showerhead, I like a nice shower, right? So I wound up going on Amazon and buying the, some Chinese made, you know, shower head where I could pop out the little water saver thingy. Oh, yeah. So yes. that I could actually get shower pressure. Mm-hmm. That's another example of of something stupid that the government came around and did and limited the amount of water you can have in your shower. Right. And of right. course, there's always going to be a workaround for that. But uh, United States manufacturers would get in big trouble if they do that. But a Chinese manufacturer is not going to get in trouble for that. So he's going to put that crap on Amazon and people are going to buy it. And and I think this gets into something else, too, which is that the unintended consequence of a lot of these things, right, leads to go ahead. Right. It, a great example is when they first came out with catalytic converters, mm-hmm. which at the time were a terrible technology. They didn't work properly. Y- your car had less power. It got worse gas mileage. It actually ended up over the life of the vehicle emitting more pollutants not less. And so what did a lot of people do? They took it to auto shops and got a hacksaw and literally just cut out the darn thing and and just welded on a piece of straight pipe in right. its place. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously the technology has come a very long way and those things work. You know, today they like actually work and, you know, you don't get asphyxiated by by car exhaust. But But the point still is that at the end of the day, the unintended consequences here, as you're pointing out, end up doing far more harm than if you had just done nothing at all and and just let things be. Another great example would be um, the, uh, I I guess, the regulation when it comes to fuel efficient, not fuel efficiency standards. Well, I guess that would be under the Clean Air Act where cars have to get 197 miles uh, to the gallon or whatever it is. And they make these cars lighter and lighter Mm -hmm. to meet those standards. And then the cars become less safe. And so there's a correlation there between the increase in auto fatalities and also how we've made cars lighter to meet these EPA rules right. or, or or Gavin Newsom's rules where he says, you know, cars got to get 140 miles to the gallon or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And you know, along those lines, the other thing that those standards have forced manufacturers to do is to have larger crumple zones. And you actually have to start using the frame of the vehicle effectively as part of that crumple zone. So uh, a collision that previously might have caused you know a few hundred or maybe even a few thousand dollars worth of damage now totals the vehicle, which has helped drive insurance premiums uh-huh. through the roof because so many claims that previously wouldn't have been that expensive for the insurance company to pay out, they're now having to pay for a whole new vehicle for you. 
And, and so what's happening? New vehicles are becoming less and less affordable, not just because the vehicle's more expensive, but the insurance premiums on it are also more expensive. And so it now pays to keep an older, less safe car on the road for longer. Unbelievable. All right, last question. Speaking of cars, since we're talking about it, what are what what's going to be the effect of all these EV mandates that people like Gavin Newsom and Phil Murphy and ultimately the Biden administration are pushing? In your mm-hmm. opinion, what's going to be the outcome of all that? Uh, rolling blackouts and brownouts. I mean, we we literally just don't have anywhere near a, enough electric electric generation to meet that kind of demand. People don't realize a, a single horsepower is over 700 watts. I mean, virtually every car, gasoline-powered car, in any American driveway can power that home. The, the amount of energy in a gallon of gasoline is really tremendous. And if we think we can replace that with electricity, given today's technology, we're fooling ourselves. Mm-hmm. In, in the future, might it happen? Sure. I mean, 100 years ago, we didn't even have nuclear power. I mean, who knows? Hydrogen what, is a new thing. Right. Who, Hydrogen so is a new thing, Who knows what love. the next hundred years are going to bring? But as of right now, the technology just isn't there. And if you try to force it, once again, you will have disastrous unintended consequences. But what's the effect on the economy going to be when you start forcing people now to buy products that they don't want? I mean, I think a big part of the, the United Auto Workers strike was around this very point, right? They need mm-hmm. less workers to build these cars. Sure. Sure. And, and they're vehicles that people don't even want. You know, when, when I talk to, to dealers from around the country, th- they have the same complaint almost universally. They have all these electric vehicles on their lots because the manufacturers had to produce them to meet the mandates that you're talking about, mm-hmm. except consumers don't want them, certainly not for the prices that are being offered. And those prices include tens of thousands of dollars of subsidies per vehicle and consumers still don't want them. Great stuff. Great seeing you, buddy. Great having you in studio with me today. This has been fantastic. Dr. E.J. Antoni, follow him on Twitter. He's terrific. And we will have him on the show again. Economist and research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget and the official economist of The Zioli Show. Your your Twitter handle for us one more time. At Real E.J. Antoni. There you go. And catch him on Fox News. Catch him everywhere. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you very much for coming in studio. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And in our fourth and final hour, we're getting into why children are being deliberately taught to uh, follow evil. What am I talking about there? We're going to talk to the parents defending education in just a moment. But for years, you've heard me talk about my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria. In fact, Mama Zioli discovered Dr. Venaria years ago, and I'm so glad she did because he's terrific. The staff is wonderful. The office is wonderful. And it's so reassuring that you can count on the level of care, commitment to excellence, and the comforting staff at Venaria Dental. Dr. Mike has one of the most respected reputations among his peers as a master of dental implants. Delivering results that surpass expectations has made him a top dentist in New Jersey for 10 consecutive years. And patients travel from all over for his expertise in dental implants. Florida, the Carolinas, California, And you know my entire family trusts Dr. Venaria, Bridget, Reagan, Claire, and Patrick, as well as Mama Zioli and my father. He has two locations to serve you, Cinnaminson and Woodbury, right over the bridge. So schedule your free implant consultation today by going to VenariaDental.com. VenariaDental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A. And I want to tell you, mark your calendar 
to go to his Veterans Breakfast and Free Shredding event on Saturday, November 11th, 2023 at his Cinnamonson office on Riverton Road. It's actually on Veterans Day this year. Free shredding, coffee, cake, donuts, pizza. All veterans are welcome. You are welcome to come. We'd love to see you. And make your appointment today for your free implant consultation at venariadental.com. V-A-N-A-R-I-A. My dentist, my friend, the master of dental implants, Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.